And we're doing our uh, spiritual disciplines um, series, and we've been talking about fruitfulness last week, and we're going to talk, well, two weeks ago, and we're going to talk about fruitfulness again tonight, called to be fruitful, amen. John chapter 15, and beginning in verse 1. John chapter 15, beginning in verse 1. This is Jesus speaking here. He says, I am the true vine, and my father is the husbandsman, or the gardener. And every branch in me that beareth not fruit, he taketh away. And every branch that beareth fruit, he purgeth it, that it may bring forth more fruit. Now you are clean through the word which I have spoken unto you. Abide in me, and I in you. As a branch cannot bear fruit of itself, except it abide in the vine, no more can ye, except you abide in me. And he says here, um, abide in the vine, and the vine is Jesus. Jesus said that he is the vine and we are the branches. And he says, abide in the vine or abide in me. And he says, as a branch cannot bear fruit of itself, except it abide in the vine, no more can ye except you abide in me. And you know, it's, it's not possible for people who are not Christians to bear fruit. It's not possible for those who are not connected to Jesus to bear fruit. Jesus said you have to be connected to the vine. Amen. That's what Connor done tonight. He got connected to the vine. So we're expecting to see some fruit coming out, Connor. Amen. But um, you have to be connected to the vine. And when you're connected to the vine, the scripture says here that you begin to uh, bear fruit. Verse 5, I am the vine, you are the branches. He that abideth in me and I in him, the same brings forth much fruit. For without me you can do nothing. And Jesus said here, I am the vine and you are the branches. And Jesus said, if you abide in me, he says you'll bear much fruit. Abide in me and you will bear much fruit. And that word abide, and I've shared this with you before, the, the word abide means um, to set up home, to set up home in Jesus. And so when we give our hearts and our lives to the Lord, Jesus expects us to set up our home in him. Amen. And one of the big problems, and we're going to talk about this as we go through the, the service tonight, one of the big problems that what happens with people is that they want to confess that Jesus is their Lord, but they don't want to abide in him. And if we don't abide in him, we won't bear fruit. In other words, what happens with people is that they want to be a Christian in church on Sunday and on Sunday night and on Wednesday night, but they don't want to be a Christian the rest of the week. But if you're not a Christian the rest of the week, you're actually not abiding in the vine. Do you understand? And so he wants us to abide in him. And so this is a daily living in him. Amen. But he says, if you abide in me, you will bring forth much fruit. Without me, you can do nothing. If a man abide not in me, he is cast forth as a branch, and is withered, and men gather them and cast them into the fire, and they are burned. If you abide in me, and my words abide in you, you shall ask what you will, and it shall be done unto you. And so Jesus here is telling us that we need to abide in him if we're going to bear fruit. Amen. Be con stay connected to the vine. And you know that whole um, idea is the branch is connected to the tree, it's connected to the vine or the trunk. And as long as it's connected, he, it bears fruit. But when it becomes disconnected, it doesn't bear any fruit and it can't bear fruit because the life actually comes from the vine and through the vine. Amen. Look with me in the book of Matthew chapter 25. Matthew chapter 25. And so Jesus said that he expects us actually to bear fruit. He expects us to bear fruit. He expects us to bear fruit. Many of you remember the, the, the story where um, Jesus saw the, the, the fig tree. And the Bible says that he went to the fig tree if happily he might fruit, find fruit thereon. But it says that when he went, it was covered in leaves but there was no fruit. And when the, he saw that there was no fruit on it, what did he do? 
The scripture says he cursed the tree. And he said, no man eat fruit of the hereafter forever. And the scripture says the disciples heard it. And then the, as they were coming back the next day, Peter called to remembrance that Jesus had cursed the tree. And he said, Lord, look at the tree that you cursed. It's withered up. And they knew that it was withered, but Jesus cursed it because it bore no fruit. Amen. So he expects us to bear fruit. Look with me in Matthew chapter 25. And we'll read here from verse uh, 14. He says, For the kingdom of heaven is as a man traveling unto a far country, who calls his own servants and delivers unto them his goods. And unto one he gave five talents, to another two, to another one, to every man according to his several ability, and straightway took his journey. Then he that had received the five talents went and traded with the same, and made them other five talents. In other words, he bore fruit, didn't he? He took the five talents that he had and he, he created another five talents. So he bare fruit, bore fruit. He was fruitful. Um, verse 17. And likewise he that received two, he also gained other two. And he that had received one went and digged in the earth and hid his Lord's money. And after a long time the Lord of those servants cometh and reckoneth with them. And so he that had received five talents came and brought five other talents, saying, Lord, thou deliverest unto me five talents. Behold, I have gained besides them five talents more. And his Lord said unto him, Well done, thou good and faithful servant. Thou hast been faithful over a few things. I will make thee ruler over many things. Enter thou into the joy of the Lord. And he also that had received two talents came and said, Lord, thou deliverest unto me two talents. Behold, I have gained two other talents beside them. And the Lord said unto him, Well done, thou good and faithful servant. Thou hast been faithful over a few things. I will make thee ruler over many things. Enter thou into the joy of thy Lord. Then he which had received the one talent came and said, Lord, I knew thee, that thou art a hard man, reaping where thou hast not sown, gathering where thou hast not strawed. And I was afraid, and went and hid thy talent in the earth. And lo, there thou hast what is thine. And the Lord answered and said unto him, Thou wicked and slothful servant, thou knewest that I reap where I sowed not, and gather where I have not strawed. Thou oughtest therefore to have put my money to the exchangers, and then at my coming I would have received mine own with usury. Take therefore the talent from him, and give it unto the one that has ten talents. For every one that has shall be given, and he shall have an abundance. But from him that uh, hath not shall be taken even that which he seemeth to have. And cast you the unprofitable servant into outer darkness, where there shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And you know, the scripture here is telling us, and there's three types of people. It mentions three people, but there are actually three types of people. And, and the Lord gives them talents. He gives them gifts. He gives them abilities. He gives them grace gifts, really. And he expects them to bear fruit with them. And he, the Lord returned or went away on a long journey, and he was coming back again. And Jesus Christ uh, went on a long journey. How many of you know he's coming back again real soon? And when he comes back real soon, you know, one of the things that he's going to do is he's going to look for fruit on our tree. And we talked about that on Sunday night when we talked about the, the Bema Seed of Christ. And so Jesus is coming back soon and he's expecting to find fruit on our tree according to the gifts and the abilities that he's given us. And so these, these three different types of guys and the first one gained five talents more and Jesus said unto him, well done thou good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with little he said, I'm going to give you much. Enter thou into the joy of the Lord. And then the one with two talents, he told him exactly the same thing. But it's interesting, the one with one talent, and the one with one talent here, listen to what he said, uh, verse 24. 
Then he which had received the one talent came and said, Lord, I knew thee that thou art a hard man, reaping where you have not sown, gathering where you have not strawed, and I was afraid. And he, he makes a couple of statements here, three statements here, and these statements that he makes are not accurate. Because the statements that he makes, he said, I know you're a hard man. And many of you know Jesus is not a hard man. Jesus is not a hard taskmaster. In actual fact, the Bible says of God, it says God is love. God is love. He's not a hard taskmaster. And so what it actually reveals was that he didn't know God at all. And then it says, um, I know you're you're a hard man. He says, I know that you reap where you haven't sown. Well, why would God reap where he hasn't sown when he was the one who set the law of seed time and harvest in motion? Does he defy his own law? No, he does not. So it shows us that this guy really didn't know um, his master at all. And you know, there are people um, who claim to be saved. There's people who who claim to know God and they don't know him at all. And what's interesting about that is... um, these guys, this guy here, he claimed to know God and he didn't know God. And because he didn't know God, he didn't bear any fruit. And then he was cast outside. Amen. Didn't know God, didn't bear any fruit. Couldn't bear fruit because he didn't know God. Amen. Look with me in um, John chapter 12. Jesus expects us to bear fruit. He has given us gifts, grace gifts and talents. And he expects us to use them for the kingdom. Amen. John chapter 12. Look with me here in um, verse 24. Jesus says here, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, Except a corn of wheat fall into the ground and die, it abideth alone. But if it die, it bringeth forth much fruit. Except a grain of wheat fall into the ground and die, it abideth alone. But if it die, it bears much fruit. And you know what God is looking for us to do is he's not looking for any of us to die. And many of you understand that, firstly. But what he's actually talking about is that we die to self. What we do is we die to self. We die to our own ambitions, our own uh, desires and, and all the rest of it. And what we need to do is put God first. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these other things will be given unto us as well. And when there's things that come up that are in conflict with the kingdom, he expects us to die to self. But he says, when you die to self, he says, you will bear much fruit. Amen. Hallelujah. Look with me in uh, the book of Jeremiah, chapter 17. Jeremiah, chapter 17. Jeremiah chapter 17 here. Look with me in verse 7. It says, Blessed is the man that trusts in the Lord and whose hope the Lord is. And that's every one of us here, isn't it? Blessed is the man who trusts the Lord in whose hope the Lord is. We've trusted the Lord. We're we're blessed. In verse 8, it says, For he shall be like a tree planted by the waters, that spreads out her roots by the river, and shall not see when the heat cometh, but her leaf shall be green, and shall not be careful in the year of drought, neither shall cease from yielding fruit. 
The scripture says that when we put our trust in the Lord and when our hope is in him, it says we become like a tree planted by rivers of living water. One of the things that I love about rivers of living water is it's not just one river, not just one stream, not just one source. But in other words, when the time of drought comes, that we have multiple streams of water. Amen. And so the scripture here says that we spread out our roots. We don't see when the heat comes. Our leaf shall always be green. We shall not be careful in the year of drought drought and neither shall we cease from yielding fruit and when we put our trust in the lord and when our hope is in him uh, we will be fruitful in the kingdom amen Amen. hallelujah look with me in colossians chapter one colossians chapter one look with me here in verse 10 He says that you might walk worthy of the Lord unto all pleasing, being fruitful in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. He says that you might walk worthy of the Lord unto all pleasing. Many of you know that's what God wants us. He wants us to walk worthy of him. He wants us to be pleasing to him. And that's one of the reasons why we talked about earlier, he wants us to abide in him. This is not a casual visit. We don't just visit God on weekends. God is looking for full-time access, not weekend visits. Amen. He wants, uh, he wants us to live with him, dwell in him, to be with him constantly. He wants us to walk worthy of the Lord unto all pleasing. And then he says, um, being fruitful in every good work. Not just in some arenas, but in every arena. Every arena of life he wants us to be fruitful in. And he wants us also to increase in the knowledge of God. And fruitfulness is actually the the goal of discipleship, isn't it? The whole goal of discipleship is that we will be fruitful, that we'll bear fruit for the kingdom, that we'll bear fruit in the kingdom of God. Fruitfulness is beneficial for our own development, firstly. Fruitfulness is beneficial for our own development. All of us want to grow in the grace and the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. We all want to please him. And so fruitfulness is beneficial for our own development. Someone who is constantly being productive will be healthy and motivated in their walk with God. But what happens sometimes is, is people get stagnant. And stagnation brings frustration, which leads us back into unfruitfulness. And we don't want to be stagnant in the things of God, do we? We don't want to be stagnant in the things of God. We don't want to be stuck in a rut. We want to go on with God. And you know what happens sometimes is we do get stuck in ruts. Sometimes we get into ruts and we need to get out of them. Amen. And how we get out of them is by getting back into the word of God and and allowing the word of God to be a mirror to us, allowing the word of God to show us the things that we need to change. And one of the big problems that we actually have in Christianity is, is when the scriptures show us the things that we need to change, we actually don't change them. Now, we change some things, but, you know... It's easy sometimes to change um, probably some of the more difficult things. But you know, some of the easier things, it's very difficult for, them to change, for us to change. You know, God tells us, do not fear. But yet, you know what we do? We tend to have a lot of fear, don't we? The Bible says, don't be anxious, don't worry. And yet, that's some of the things that we tend to carry all the time. But these are the things that we need to change also. You know, we need to change. Amen. And so the Holy Spirit is given to us in order that we should bear fruit for God. And we need to be willing and surrender to God. 
And by being willing and surrendered to God, what we actually do is we enable God to empower us to do what he's called us to do. By being willing and surrendered to God, we enable God to empower us to do what he has called us to do. But by our disobedience or stubbornness, we can hinder God from working in our lives. By disobedience and stubbornness. Well, nobody in this room is disobedient or stubborn, isn't that right? (laughs) Moving swiftly along. Look with me in Matthew chapter 7. Hallelujah. Surely not here. Nobody is disobedient or stubborn. <laughs> you know what to say, don't you? When you, when you point one finger that way, the rest of them are pointing back. All right. <laughs> Matthew chapter 7. Look with me in verse... Uh, where am I here? Verse 16. Actually, verse 15, he says... Um, Beware of false prophets which come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravening wolves. You shall know them by their fruits. You shall know them by their fruits. Do men gather grapes of thorns or figs of thistles? Even so, every good tree bringeth forth good fruit, but a corrupt tree bringeth forth evil fruit. A good tree cannot bring forth evil fruit, Neither can a corrupt tree bring forth good fruit. Every tree that bringeth not forth good fruit is hewn down and cast into the fire. Wherefore, by their fruits you shall know them. Again, he's talking here about bearing fruit. And one of the things that we've got to do, and let me just uh, say this right from the start. Don't look at your neighbor to see if your neighbor is bearing fruit. (laughs) Because that's generally what we tend to do, isn't it? (laughs) <laughs> Don't nudge them either. <laughs> Ouch. <laughs> but don't look at your neighbor, because that's what we tend to do. We tend to look around and say, I wonder if he bearing fruit or is she bearing fruit. But look at ourselves. And the Bible says that the tree is known by its fruit. It says a corrupt tree cannot produce good fruit, and a, and a, a good tree cannot produce corrupt fruit. And then the Bible says that you know a tree by its fruit. And one of the things that we have got to learn... Um, in the churches, we've got to learn to have that spirit of discernment where we, we actually look at people and we see are they bearing fruit and we see what fruit are they producing. And let me just say this to you, and, and I've said this to you before, one of the biggest problems that we see in our generation, and it's because we're a word people and a word generation, that we listen to the words that people say and we take them under word rather than under actions. Do you know what I mean? And somebody comes and they give you their resume. I'll tell you one thing you should see. I mean, I've been all over the world. I've been here, I've been there, I've been doing this, and I've been doing that. And we take them at their word instead of looking at their fruit. And when we take them at their word rather than looking at their fruit, we end up in trouble. Do you understand? We need to see the fruit. And I'll give you, I just want to give you an example. When we were in um, uh, Athlone, Several years ago, um, we, we used to have a, a church in Athlone that we used to look after. And there was one particular day I was in the church and this guy came in. And after the praise and worship, when we said, you know, shake hands with everybody. And so everyone went and shook hands. And this new guy came and he shook hands with me and he said, how are you doing? I'm Pastor John. And I said, um, how are you doing, John? And he said, no, it's Pastor John. And I said, okay, John. Uh, he said, no, 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 it's Pastor John. And I said, well, here it's just John, because I said, I don't know you. 
And uh, so he said to me, well, let me tell you. He says, I was pastor in a massive church in Italy. And I said, well, what are you doing here? He said, well, I moved over here to Ireland and now I'm on the dole. And I'm thinking, how did you get from a massive church in Italy to being on the dole in Ireland? So there's something not right. Do you understand? And, and he, he thought he would impress me by saying I had a massive church in Italy. But yet, if he had a massive church in Italy, why is he on the dole in Ireland? <laughs> Do you understand? And so something doesn't add up, something doesn't line up. Now, he may turn out to be a lovely guy and all the rest of it, but just at face value, you can't just say, there, there you go, John, there's the pulpit. You know, do you understand? You've got to be wise. And so we've got to look at people's fruit and judge them by their fruit, not by what they say. Amen. And so God's purpose for us is that we should be bearing fruit for our benefit and also for his glory. And Jesus said it, that it was by their fruit you shall know them. And we've got to look at fruit. And most of the common reasons, or many of the most common reasons for lack of fruitfulness relate to our personal lives and to our emotions. There's two areas, our personal lives and our emotions. And unless we get our own house in order in these arenas of our life, the inner battles and fears will always dominate us and hinder us and hinder whatever potential that we have and the gifts and the callings that we have uh, will be stunted or, or stopped. And I want to share with you for a few minutes just some areas that we need to look at and examine in our lives. Amen. Some areas we need to get to grips with if we want to be fruitful and achieve things for God. And one of the first things that we need to do, because everything really stems from here, is we now need to have a clear understanding of the Word of God. We need to have a clear understanding of the Word of God. We need to know the Word of God. We need to learn the Word of God. And how we do that is by, is by um, getting in under the, the Word of God, by getting in under um, someone who teaches the Word of God, and also by our own uh, quiet time, our own study time at home. Amen. And so the first thing we need here is we need to have a good, clear understanding of the Word of God. Um, a fruitful person is someone who commits himself to live continually in the Word of God or the Word of Jesus. But in order for that to be real, there needs to be an openness and an understanding um, of spiritual truth. And this can only be achieved by getting to know the Word of God, not just in our minds, but in our hearts. And this is the key. We need to have a good, clear understanding of the Word of God, not just in our head, not just head knowledge, because that's what happens a lot of times, is it's just head knowledge. But when it becomes heart knowledge, that's when we begin to act on it. Amen. And they always say that the, the longest distance is the drop from your head to your heart. It's 18 inches, and it, yet it's the longest distance, because so often we have so much of the word in our head, but it's never dropped into our heart. In other words, we have head knowledge, but we don't have heart knowledge. Um, we, we understand the word of God, but we don't know the word of God, down, right down in our knower, as they say. Amen. And that's what we need. We need to get a good grasp and understanding of the Word of God. And if we can get that good grasp of the Word of God, you know what it'll do? It'll help us to understand the truth, firstly, and it will deliver us from error. It'll help us to understand the truth, and it will also deliver us from error. And you know sometimes when, when uh, people are speaking, um, you get that witness in your spirit. Because you know and understand the word of God. And yet there's other times when people are preaching and you get that, just that check in your spirit and you're thinking, no, there's something not right here. But that's because we have an understanding in that arena. But God wants us to have an understanding in all the arenas so that we're not led astray. Amen. Look with me in First uh, Corinthians chapter 2. First Corinthians chapter 2. 
And you know, Jesus in John 16, I'll just remind you of John 16 as we're turning to 1 Corinthians chapter 2. In John chapter uh, 16, remember Jesus said that he was going away. And he said when he goes away, he said, I will send you another comforter who will be with you and he will be in you. And then Jesus said he will take of mine and he will show it unto you. And so we have the Spirit of God to teach us the truth of the Word of God. But look what he says here in 1 Corinthians chapter 2. And look with me in verse 9. It says, But as it is written, Eye has not seen, nor ear heard, neither has it entered into the heart of man, the things which God has prepared for them that love him. But God has revealed them unto us by his Spirit. For the Spirit searcheth all things, yea, the deep things of God. For what man knoweth the things of a man, save the Spirit of a man which is in him? Even so the things of God knoweth no man but the Spirit of God. Now we have not received now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit which is of God, that we might know the things which are freely given to us of God. Which things also we speak, not in words which man's wisdom teacheth, but which the Holy Ghost teacheth, comparing spiritual things with spiritual. But the natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness unto him, neither can he know them, because they are spiritually discerned. But he that is spiritual judgeth all things, yet he himself is judged of no man. For who has known the mind of the Lord, that he may instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. You see, the scripture here is telling us, and you know what's amazing actually, and and I've heard this verse quoted for years. Verse 9, we were in a particular denominational church, and they used to quote verse 9 all the time. I has not seen, nor ear heard, neither has it entered into the heart of man the things that God has prepared for them. And what they would say is, see, you can't know. I hasn't seen, ear hasn't heard, neither has it entered into the heart of man the things that God has prepared. We can't know them. But yet they haven't read the next verse. Because the next verse says, but God has revealed them unto us by his spirit. So we can know them. We can know them. And God has provided everything for us. And he has given us the Holy Spirit, our teacher, our guide. And the scripture says that he teaches us and he leads us into the truth. But the scripture actually here says, the natural man cannot receive the things of God. In other words, if you have a natural mind, if you're thinking naturally, you'll never understand it. Because the scripture won't make sense to you. But if you allow the Holy Spirit to take the deep things of God and reveal them to your spirit, um, your spirit and the Spirit of God will connect. Your spirit and the Spirit of God will, will um, just illuminate the Word of God to you and you get that revelation. But sometimes what we do is we try and filter it all through our mind. And because we filter it through our mind, some of these things you just think, you know, I don't understand this. You're not supposed to understand it with your head. You're supposed to understand it with your spirit, man, with your heart. Amen. And that's why when the Bible tells us that God has blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places, your mind goes, I can't grasp that. Well, don't try and grasp it with your mind. Grasp it with your spirit. Because God says that he has blessed us. And God says we're overcomers. And God says we're well able. And God says he's provided all things. And you go, ah, but I don't understand that. Well, don't understand it with your head. Try and get it to go from your head down into your heart, into your spirit, man. Allow the spirit of God to illuminate your spirit and to reveal the deep things of God to you. Amen. Hallelujah. And this means that we have to get hold of the powerful truths of Scripture and make them our very own. We need to get hold of the powerful truths of Scripture and make them our own. And we were doing uh, Bible school on um, uh, Monday night and Tracy was teaching on the Logos and the Rhema. 
And you know, one of the things that we need to understand is, is every word in this book is actually a Logos word. It's a Logos word. It's just the, it's the written word of God. But what we actually need is the Rhema word of God. And what the Rhema word of God is, is when God takes his word by his spirit and illuminates it to us. And what we find sometimes is you're sitting in church and a particular word is spoken and it's kind of like the word jumped off the page at you. It's kind of like that you got a revelation of something and you see something for the first time. Maybe you've read it 10 times, 20 times or 50 times and just in that split second, God just illuminates it to you. He's given you a rhema word from God. And that rhema word from God is a life-giving word into your situation that will change your situation. Amen. And that's what we need. We need those rhema words from God. That's the Holy Spirit of God illuminating the word to us. The Holy Spirit of God taking those deep things of God and making them real, making them relevant, and making them life-changing. Amen. So having a clear understanding of the word of God. The next thing we need is we need to be confident in who we are. And this is another um, problem area because in being confident in who we are, we need to know who we are in Christ. We need to know who Jesus Christ died to make us. And the Bible says that we are a new creation. The Bible says that we're a new creature. And it talks about over in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 17. It says, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. All things have passed away. Behold, all things, all things have become new. And so God has made us a new creature. He's made us a new creation. I think it's the Amplified Bible says um, he has made us a new species that never existed before. And the way I always like to explain it is God has made us so new in Christ that we need some meet uh, your new self classes. Just want to introduce you to your new self. It's like an extreme makeover, isn't it? <laughs> do you ever see the big reveal when they do do those houses? And they get the was it the plastic and they cut it and it's big reveal. Well, that's what it is in Christ. God wants, us to give us, wants to give us the big reveal, and here it is. It's all contained in his word. And he says, you've become so new in Christ that you don't even know who you are. And he says, leave that old man behind. That old man is dead. That old man doesn't live anymore. He doesn't exist anymore. He says, our old man is crucified with Christ. I want to introduce you to your new man. But we need to find what our new man is, and then we need to become confident in him. That we are overcomers, that we're blessed, that we can do all things through Christ and all these different things. We need to be confident in who we are in Christ. Amen. Look with me in your Bible in 1 John chapter 3. 1 John chapter 3. Look with me here in verse 21. He says, Beloved, if our heart, um, let's go back to verse 20. For if our heart condemn us, God is greater than our heart, and knoweth all things. Beloved, if our heart condemn us not, then we have confidence towards God. And whatsoever we ask, we receive of him, because we keep his word, and we do those things which are right and pleasing in his sight. And you see, what he's actually telling us here is... um, If we don't know who we are, if we don't know that we're the righteousness of Almighty God in Christ Jesus, what happens is our heart condemns us, and when our heart condemns us, we have no confidence. We're not able to go through the throne room of God. We're not able to go to the throne of grace because we think that we're weak. We think that we're not able. We think that we can't. We think that we're, you know, still sinners, and, and, you know, how can I come into the presence of God? But when you understand that Jesus Christ has taken away your sin, that you're born again, that you're made righteous, 
um, that you have no sense of uh, inferiority or guilt when you come into the presence of God. You're able to stand there with confidence. You're able to ask God confidently. And the scripture here says that when we have that confidence before God, he says we know that we already have the thing that we asked. Being confident in who we are. We need to learn to be confident in who we are. Amen. Spiritual power has to do with confidence. We can only be confident when we're living a life that's pleasing to him. In other words, we're not to be living a double life. And we talked about that a little bit earlier. One thing in church and one thing outside of church. We can't be confident before God if we know that a certain part of our life is a contradiction to the rest of it. The third thing is spiritual goals and their fulfillment. First one we said was having a clear understanding of the word. Second one, being confident in God or confident in who we are in God. But the third one is spiritual goals and their fulfillment. Spiritual goals. I wonder how many of us have set spiritual goals for our life. And I know when we think about that, some of us have set spiritual goals. But here's the next question is, what are we doing to fulfill them? What are we doing to fulfill them? Um, Philippians chapter 3 and verse 12. Let me read that scripture to you. Philippians chapter 3 and verse 12. This is the Apostle Paul. He said, Not as though I had already attained, either were already perfect, but I follow after, if that I may apprehend that for which I am also apprehended of Christ Jesus. Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth unto those things which are before. And Paul here, he said that he set himself some spiritual goals. And he says, I haven't arrived yet. He says, but I've left. I haven't arrived yet, but I've left. Have we set spiritual goals for our life? Because if we haven't set spiritual goals, what happens with us quite often is we just wander aimlessly. And many of you understand the expression, um, if you aim at nothing, you're sure to hit it. Do you understand? That's like like me with a shotgun. Oh, so I was aiming at. (laughs) We need to set spiritual goals for our lives. Amen. Let me just say this to you. I wonder how many of you have a dream from God. Nobody. Continue to get the choir up and speak to the choir. <laughs> Has anybody got a dream from God? Amen. You know what happens quite often with dreams? And we all have dreams. We dream dreams. And we like to be doing things in the kingdom and we like to be doing different things. But sometimes our dreams don't come to pass because we don't have a plan. Because we don't have a plan. And you see what happens is we're just dreamers. But we don't have a plan. If you look at. Um, remember the story of Joseph. Remember the story of Joseph in the Old Testament. And he was down in the prison. And when he was in the prison. Pharaoh had a dream. And in his dream. He saw these. Seven uh, fat cows and then the seven lean cows. Then he's seen the seven fat ears of corn and the seven lean uh, ears of corn. And he had a dream, didn't he? Do you know what the problem was? He had a dream, but he didn't know what to do with it. And so he was going around and he was looking for all the astrologers and he was looking for all the magicians and all the different people of the day. And he was looking for someone to give him a bit of guidance how to fulfill his dream. And he didn't know how to fulfill the dream. And so somebody came to him and said, you know what, there's a fellow down in the dungeon called Joseph. And he knows all about dreams. 
And so they sent down for Joseph, and Joseph came and um, he, he told Pharaoh all about the dream. But you know what Pharaoh did? Pharaoh actually stepped back and he handed the dream to Joseph and he said to Joseph, you run with it. Because God didn't give the power to the person with the dream, he gave the power to the person with the plan. Do you understand? He didn't give the power to the person with the dream, he gave the power to the person with the plan. You see, what happens with us so often is that we don't set spiritual goals for our life. And then even when we do, sometimes we don't follow through with them. We just wait for it to fall on us and it's not going to fall on us. You have to have a plan. You have to decide, this is what I want to do in the kingdom and you have to work towards it. Amen. So Pharaoh had a dream, but Joseph had a plan. And God didn't give the power to the one with the dream. He gave the power to the one with the plan. You know, one of the things that we need to do is we need to discipline ourselves to finish things that we start. Ouch. (laughs) Oh, me. We need to discipline ourselves. And we're all guilty of it to a certain degree, but some more so than others. Because we start a whole lot of things and we finish nothing sometimes. We're always starting things, aren't we? We need to finish some things. And, uh, you know... um, when I got saved first, I wasn't saved that long, maybe a year or two years, and um, I was in the Bible study in Kilkenny. We had this Bible study on a Sunday night, and um, I remember um, talking to Billy Patterson, and we were talking about reading books and stuff, and I was notorious for starting books and never finishing them. I had about maybe 10 books on the go and finished none of them. And he said to me one day, you know, you need to learn to discipline yourself. And he said, you need to go back and start at the first one of those and finish it. And then go to the second one and finish it. And the third one and finish it. Because they're all about halfway done. And he says you need to learn and discipline yourself to finish things that you start. And one of the things that we probably need to do as well is we need to stop for a minute and evaluate what it is that we're going to do. And if we decide, or so, well let me, let me change that. If somebody asks us to do something, we've got to decide first that we're going to follow it through. Am I actually going to do this? And don't just say yes off the bat. Am I going to actually do this? Am I going to finish this if I start? And if the answer is no, then don't start it. If the answer is yes, then carry it on till it's done. Finish it. Follow through. Amen. Boy, it's gone quiet in here. And so we need to discipline ourselves to finish things that we start. Too often we start something for a week or a month, we get into it, we get fed up and we quit. But if we start something for God, we need to carry it through. And you know, sometimes even that can be, um, you know, even wanting to do a ministry or something. You know, I'd love to be involved in this ministry or that ministry. And we get into it and we're into it for a week or we're into it for a month. And then we just want to throw it aside and do the next thing. But we need to learn, firstly, not to start something that we're not going to finish. And if we do start it, then we need to decide we're going to finish it. Amen. Be committed to it. And then we need to do that in every arena of life. I want to talk for a few minutes then. Those, those three just have a clear understanding of the word, being confident of who we are in ourselves and in God and in spiritual goals and their f- fulfillment. But I want to talk to you for a few minutes about overcoming ourselves. Overcoming ourselves. And this is a, a key really to being fruitful because sometimes we have so much hang-ups that we actually need to overcome ourselves so that we can be fruitful in the kingdom of God. Okay. So to be effective for God, sometimes we need to overcome ourselves. We need to recognize and understand what are the areas that affect us. 
What are the areas that we need to experience the overcoming power of God in our lives? What are the things that we need to change to change our reaction from the negative to the positive so we can be free to be who we are in Christ? And you see, every one of us here have a calling on our life. Every one of us, God has called us to something. But you know what happens quite often is people never fulfill the call of God on their life because of negativity. And that can be in in a lot of different arenas. It just doesn't mean you're a negative person. But it can be a negative self-image and different things. And, And there's so many Christians, so many believers, and they never reach their potential because they haven't learned to overcome themselves. Amen. Boy, it's gone quiet in here, right? Preaching to the right crowd tonight. So we need to recognize what it is that affects us, what areas we need to change, what areas we need to have the overcoming power of God in our lives to change us uh, from the negative to the positive so we can be free to be who we are in Christ. I want to talk about three enemies of personal freedom and effectiveness for God. And the first one is fear. Fear. Does anybody suffer from fear? These are one of the areas that we need to break in our lives. Amen. Uh, This is the worst enemy, really, which presents itself in a multitude of ways. Look with me in 1 John chapter 4. 1 John chapter 4. Look with me here in verse 18. Listen to what he says here in verse 18. It says, There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear, because fear has torment. He that feareth is not made perfect in love. He says, There's no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear, because fear has torment. And you don't need to be a rocket scientist to figure out that fear has torment, doesn't it? Because when you're afraid of something, you're tormented in your head. You're tormented in your soul, maybe, or in your spirit. You're, just, you're tormented. But when we understand who we are in God, when we understand the love of God, look back with me here in verse 10. He says, this is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. He says, this is love. And then he said, not that we love God. See, what we tend to do so often is we tend to measure what my love for God is. And we tend to think, if I can love God more, God will love me more. And he said, that's not even the issue. He said, this is love. Not that you love me. He said, but I love you. And then he says, I demonstrated it in this. Because even when you didn't love me, he said, I sent my son to die for you. This is love. The Bible says, when we were yet sinners... Christ died for us. So he didn't wait for us to love him first. He loved us first. He gave his son to us first. And he says, when you get a true revelation, when you get a true understanding of the love of God, how much you're loved, he says, perfect love casts out fear. And you see, we need to get a revelation of the love of God. In actual fact, um, and I've shared this with you before, I know I've preached it here before, is we need to practice the love of God. And we've done that many times, haven't we? We've talked about it. I've always said to you, you know, one of my favorite things to say is, you know, God loves me the most. He just thinks I'm wonderful. (laughs) But you practice the love of God. Um, We get that from the disciple John. 
And John never calls himself by name. The whole way through, the, through John's gospel, he never calls himself by name. Do you know what he calls himself? Anybody know? The disciple whom Jesus loved. That's all he called himself the whole way through. Every time he said there was Peter, there was John, and then there was the disciple whom Jesus loved. <laughs> Practicing the love of God. We need to practice the love of God. We need to know and understand that God loves us. And God's love is perfect. And God's love is so perfect, the Bible says there isn't even a shadow in it. It doesn't cast a shadow. Perfect love. And he says when we get an understanding of that perfect love, perfect love casts out fear. It talks about over in the book of Galatians, chapter 5 and verse 6. It says faith works by love. You know how, how our faith works? It's when you understand how much God loves you, when you understand how much God has already given you, it's easy to have faith. Because you're able to come to God on that basis, you're able to come to God on that level and think to yourself, you know what, God just thinks I'm wonderful, so it's easy for me to ask him. Because he just loves me anyway. <laughs> Do you understand? Perfect love casts out fear. And knowing the love of God rids us of this awful grip of fear. Knowing the love of God rids us of this awful grip of fear. Because we're afraid sometimes and, and when we get into fear, we think that, you know, we can't do things in the kingdom that God doesn't love us or God can't do this. But when we get a true revelation of how much God loves us, perfect love casts out fear. But fear has a twin. And the twin of fear is insecurity. Insecurity. And we get insecure sometimes too, don't we? And you know, we need to deal with our insecurities as well. Look uh, with me in Second uh, Corinthians chapter 10. Second Corinthians chapter 10. Sometimes we're insecure. I'm th- thinking about in terms of the kingdom. Insecure. Second Corinthians chapter 10. Look with me here in verse 12. It says, For we dare not make ourselves of the number or compare ourselves with some that commend themselves. But they measuring themselves by themselves, comparing themselves among themselves, are not wise. And he says what happens with us so often is that we look at other people and we measure ourselves by others. And he actually mentions here, and we talked about it a little bit earlier, he actually mentions here, he says, we measure ourselves against people who are able to talk a good talk. And you see, you get people sometimes who talk a good talk and you measure yourself against them and you feel insecure because you think, I can't even measure up to them. How can I measure up to what God wants me to be? But he says, you don't measure yourselves by people who talk a good talk. And let me share something with you. Um, I remember years ago, I was doing, leading an outreach team in Kilkenny and there was a guy from Dublin was on the team. And um, uh, I always talk about who I am in Christ. And I was talking to him about, you know, I can do all things through Christ and I'm more than a conqueror and I'm an overcomer and all the rest of it. And we were talking about witnessing. I was leading him on the street. We were going on the streets. And he goes, Mike, I can't do it. He says, he says sure, you know, I'm a sinner. And he mentioned all these different things. And then I said to him, but sure, we're all the same. And he says, no, but you're always talking about who you are in Christ and all the rest of it. And you see, he was measuring himself against what I was saying, but failing to realize that every one of us were equal. Do you understand? And we all start on the same playing field. It's not that one of us has got a leg up. Do you understand? And so he was measuring himself against me, but he was measuring himself against what I was saying. But I was speaking faith. 
And because I was speaking faith, he was thinking, I can't ever measure up to you. Sure, you're already perfect. <laughs> Do you understand? I've gone, no, you've got it wrong. I'm not perfect. <sighs> he said, thank God for that. I thought you were perfect. <laughs> but what happens is we measure ourselves among ourselves. And he says, when you measure yourselves among yourselves, you become not wise. Because firstly, we need to understand is that every single one of us have a different gift and have a different calling. And because we have different gifts and different callings, we can't measure ourselves among ourselves. And so, you know, if I was to take Paul going out in the street, and Paul's going out and doing evangelism, and I'm standing here preaching, and we're deciding, well, which one of us is the better? I said, but sure, you can't compare. It's apples and oranges. We're doing two completely different things. I can't compare myself to him, and he can't compare himself to me because we're doing two completely different jobs. So why would we compare ourselves among ourselves? We've got different gifts, different callings. And, you know, he's fulfilling what God's called him to do. And I'm fulfilling what God's called me to do. Just be happy and be secure in it. Amen. And so don't measure yourselves among yourselves. One of the most common things that robs people from being effective in church and in ministry is comparing ourselves with others. And what happens then is we get a lack of peace and security because um, we become fearful. And we think this one is better than me and that one's better than me. And, and sure, who am I then? Sure, I'm the weakest and I'm the lowest and all the rest of it. And you start getting insecure. But we need to put those insecurities aside. God called me to be me. And he called you to be you. And let me just share this with you. Trying to be somebody else is a waste of the person that God has called you to be. You understand? Trying to be somebody else is a waste of the person that God has called you to be. And that's what we spend all our time trying to be like other people. And God goes, I didn't call you to be him. I called you to be you. (laughs) Do you understand? Be the best version of you you can be. How about that? Be the best version of you that you can be. Amen. And then um, we talked about earlier, when we get insecure like that, one of the things that happens is we have no confidence before God. The scripture says if we have no confidence before God, we have no peace. And then we don't know what to ask for. But when we get secure in who we are and understand that there's no one like me, I'm just me, and you think that about yourself, then you become secure, don't you? Just be the best version of you that you can be, amen. Um, The second one is pride. First one is fear and insecurity. Second one is pride. In Proverbs chapter 16 and verse 18, I'll just quote it there for time's sake. The Bible says, pride goes before destruction, or pride leads to destruction. Pride. You know, humility needs to be the central principle of our lives, because pride dims our spiritual eyesight, hardens our heart, leads to a loss of spiritual sensitivity. We become closed to God, blind to the needs of others. In fact, the heart of uh, scriptural humility is not a mean-minded attitude but openness to God and others Um, 1 Peter chapter 5 let me just read this to you 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse 5 likewise ye younger submit yourselves unto the elder yea all of you be subject one to another be clothed with humility for God resists the proud but he gives grace to the humble See, he says here, God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. And then just in case you missed it, he gives you the answer in verse 6. He says, humble yourselves, therefore. He says, he resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. He said, so therefore, humble yourself under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you in due time. 
And you see, we should always have an attitude of humility. And he talks here about, um, um, in verse 5, he says, um, Be clothed with humility, because God resists the proud. He says, All of you be subject one to another. We should have that attitude of humility. Have that attitude of humility. And you know, pride is actually, I suppose really it's the original sin. Because pride is what caused Lucifer or Satan to fall from heaven. It was a sin of pride. And you see, when we talk about pride, you know, we, we have a list of sins that are, um, I suppose, worse than others. And if you do this sin or that sin or the other sin, you won't serve in this church. Well, what about him? He's full of pride. Oh, that's all right. You see, we don't see it that way, do we? And yet pride actually was the original sin. It was the sin that caused Satan to fall from heaven or Lucifer to fall from heaven. And God sees pride completely differently than we do. Amen. Pride is no light thing as far as God is concerned. Look with me in Proverbs chapter 6. Not too much more and we'll finish. Proverbs chapter 6. Just another 56 scriptures. Proverbs 6. <laughs> Proverbs 6. If you have Proverbs 66, tear it out. <laughs> what? You've gone too far. <laughs> Proverbs chapter 6. Look with me here in verse 16. Well, let me, let, just before we look at, stop looking at it. <laughs> before you look at Proverbs 6. If you think of what we would call the worst sins, what would you think the worst sins are? You would think of things like murder and rape and, you know, robbing banks or, you know, what would you think the worst sins are? But look, listen to what God says about them here in verse 16. It says, these six things that the Lord hate, yes, seven are an abomination unto him. So these things are an abomination to God. A proud look. Many of you thought that would be in there. A proud look, because pride was the, was the first sin, the original sin. A proud look, a lying tongue. Hands that shed innocent blood. Well, there's probably murder in that one. A heart that deviseth wicked imaginations. Feet that are swift in running to mischief. A false witness that speaketh lies. And he that sows discord among the brethren. And that seventh one there, he that sows discord among the brethren, is actually a very serious one. Is somebody bringing strife into the church. Coming into the church and speaking negative things and bringing strife and causing division in the church. And God says that these are the things that he hates. Amen. So, um, we talked about um, overcoming ourselves, fear, um, insecurity, pride. And I just want to do one more with you. Inconsistency is another area where we, where we fail to grow spiritually and, and fail sometimes to uh, bear fruit. And inconsistency is actually, um, inconsistency is a lack of dependability. A lack of dependability. I wonder, are we dependable? Are we people of our word that if we say we're going to do something, that we're going to do it? Dependable. When we change direction with every wind of doctrine, always changing, never becoming persuaded by the word, never knowing if we're going to stand on the word, never knowing what's going to come out of our mouth next. And you know, there's nothing worse than, than people who are inconsistent. 
And you meet people, I've met people down through the years, and you're trying to teach them the word, and you know, they're inconsistent. You teach them the word, and have you got it? Yeah, I've got it. You come back a week later, and no, I don't have it. So, right, teach it to you again. Teach it to them again. And you spend hours teaching it to them. Right, have it this time. Maybe a week later, no, I don't get it. <laughs> and that's all right when somebody is learning. But you see, when they're doing that week after week, month after month, year after year, they're just inconsistent. You want to get a grip of the Word of God, get an understanding of the Word of God, and at least be consistent in it. And you don't know what people are going to share. You don't know what they're going to say. And they're, and they're not dependable. Because one day they're telling you that you can be healed, and the next day they're telling you that you can't be healed. Do you understand? Different things like that. Um, also then other people don't know where to stand with them. And this breeds actually insecurity in others, leads to a breakdown of confidence in our relationships with them because you can't trust what they do, you can't trust what they say, and you never know if they're going to be dependable or not. Inconsistency. We, produ- we reproduce what we are. And this is the greatest principle of fruitfulness. We reproduce what we are. The Bible says, as a man thinks in his heart, so is he. And we reproduce what we are. And if we're inconsistent, we're just going to keep producing inconsistency. If we're full of fear, we just keep reproducing fear. If we're full of insecurity, we just keep reproducing insecurity unless we actually go back to the Word of God, find out what the Word of God says, stand on the Word, and begin to make those changes. Amen. So we, re- we reproduce who we are. And this is the greatest principle of fruitfulness. If we see ourselves as weak, we just produce weakness. If we live in the fear of others with unresolved fears motivating us, then we'll manifest that fear in our lives. Amen. But we need to go back to the Word of God. Perfect love casts out fear. The root of fruitfulness is within us. The root of fruitfulness is already in us. Jesus said that he has ordained us and appointed us that we would go and bear fruit. If we're connected to the vine, the root of fruitfulness is already in us, but we're the ones who need to make the changes. We're the ones who need to make the changes. We need to have an understanding of the Word of God. We need to have an understanding of who we are in Christ. And we need to start putting it into practice in our lives. Amen. The root of fruitfulness is within ourselves. That's why we need to be open to God. This is why we need to allow the Holy Spirit to search us, to cleanse us from every wrong motive, every doubt and every fear, and the inconsistency which so often holds us back from leading fruitful lives to God. And we need to catch God's vision for our lives. This is one of the keys. We have got to catch God's vision for our lives. And God has a vision for your life. The Bible says that we were called with a holy calling. God called each and every one of us with purpose. He's got a plan. He's got a purpose for your life. He's got a vision for your life. And we've got to catch that vision for our life. But if we live constantly in fear and in negativity and in and, uh, and insecurity and inconsistency, if we live in those things, we will never, ever catch the vision of God for our life. We've got to start by going back to the Word of God and saying about ourselves what God says. If God says you're blessed, say you're blessed. And begin to say the things about yourself. And when, when you st- start to see those changes, when you start to see the fear dropping off, when you start to see the insecurity dropping off, when you start to see the inconsistency dropping off, when you start to become consistent and dependable, what you'll actually f- start to see is you'll begin to see the vision of God for your life. And God has a vision for each and every one of us, but we have got to take the steps. We've got to understand the Word of God, understand who God says we are. We've got to see ourselves in Him. Start putting it into practice. Amen. 
Some people never get God's vision for their life because they never seem to get fit enough in their spiritual lives where they can hear or receive God's master plan and vision for them. Fruitfulness, really what it is, is becoming who we are meant to be in Christ. God has a vision for us and fruitfulness is becoming who God has called us to be. It's being totally open to the Holy Spirit, allowing him to deal with those negative areas in our lives. Surrender of our wills and human frailties to the Lord so that he can reshape us into a more perfect vessel, meet and ready for the Master's use. Amen. Look with me in one final scripture. Look with me in 2 Timothy chapter 2. 2 Timothy chapter 2. Second Timothy chapter 2, look with me here in verse 20. God says here, but in a great house there are not only vessels of gold and silver, but also of wood and earth, some to honor and some to dishonor. So what God is actually saying here is, in every house, he said there's vessels. There's vessels of gold and silver, and there's vessels of clay, earthen vessels. And that's true in every house, right? And we look around the, the church, and, and not that we would judge people. We're not saying that we're judging people, but you might think to yourself, well, I'm a vessel of gold. But you might be here tonight, and you might be thinking, well, I'm just an earthen vessel, right? But look at what he says here in verse 21. If a man, therefore, purge himself from these, he shall be a vessel unto honor, sanctified and meet for the master's use and prepared unto every good work. And what he's actually saying here is, in every great house there is vessels of gold and silver and there's vessels of clay, um, wood and clay. So there's vessels of gold and silver, there's vessels of wood and clay. But what he's actually saying here is, we're the ones who get to decide what we're going to be. Because he said, if you purge yourself from the latter, he says, you will be like the former. If you purge yourself from being wood and clay, he says, you'll be a vessel of gold and silver. That means that every one of us have the potential within ourselves to be fruitful unto God. Every one of us have the potential within ourselves to be that vessel of gold, to be that vessel of silver. But you know what? The choice is ours. The choice is ours. We've got to make the choice. We've got to make the choice. And the choice is, who do you want to be? Do you want to be the very best that you can be for God? Be the best version of you that you can be. Well, how are you going to do it? You need to get a clear understanding of the Word of God. You need to learn to be confident in who you are in Christ. And we need to set spiritual goals and then begin to fulfill certain things in our lives. Put away things like fear. Put away things like insecurity. Put away inconsistencies in our life. And begin to lay hold of who God has called us to be and created us to be. Begin to see yourself as God sees us. And God has a plan and a purpose. God has a vision for your life. And when we catch that vision, we will be the people and the person that God has called us to be. Amen. Hallelujah. Glory to God. Many of you here want to be a vessel unto honor. Well, choose. Choose to be it. Amen. Let's stand to our feet. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Glory to God. Let's just pray. Hallelujah. Father, I just want to thank you and praise you tonight, Father God, that 
You have called us, Lord God, to be fruitful and to lead fruitful lives. And Lord, you said, Lord, in your word that in the Father's house there are vessels of gold and silver and vessels of wood and clay. Some to honor, some to dishonor. But Father, you said that if we purge ourselves from the latter, that we will become like the former, vessels of gold and silver, vessels of honor. And Father, we choose tonight, Lord God, that we're going to put aside, Lord God, the inconsistencies, put aside the fear and the insecurities. Father, we're going to get a revelation of your word, get a revelation of who we are. And Lord God, we're going to start to make spiritual plans, Father God, start to make plans to line up, Father God, with the person or the people that you have called us to be. And we ask, Father God, by the power of your Holy Spirit, that you will move among us right now, that you will touch every heart and every life. Lord God, that you would give us that, that holy boldness, Father, just to stand up, to rise above the situations and the circumstances, to allow the Holy Spirit to work that which is good and pleasing and holy in our lives, Father. Lord God, that we might be vessels unto honor. Lord God, that we might glorify you, that we might live full and fruitful lives in the name of Jesus. Father, I just want to thank you and praise you for every single person bowed in your presence tonight. Father, we just ask that you would bless us, that you would strengthen us and encourage us. Lord God, that you would keep us safe until we meet again. And we ask it, Father, in the mighty name, in the precious name of Jesus Christ, our Lord, our Savior. And everyone said, Amen. Amen. Glory to God. Thanks so much for being with us tonight.